Today, we're going to finish um, our series we've been doing on Noah. Uh, if you remember, um, at first we learned that Noah was not perfect, but God isn't looking for perfect people. God isn't looking for people who have it all together. God's just looking for people who are willing to, to do the things that God asks us to do. And then last week, we kind of compared the ark and the church. <laughs> there, there are some similarities. Uh, you know, the ark didn't look like much, but it floated, and uh, it got them through the storm, got everybody to the other side, and in a, a day of judgment, the ark was a vessel of grace. And we talked about how today, you know, as a church, we can be a vessel of grace uh, in a world where a lot of people are going through storms and judgment. We can be for them a vessel of grace so that everyone will know that they are the beloved of God. So this morning, we're going to look at one more scene from the story, uh, one more uh, final thing before Noah picks up the plastic boat and heads back over to the children's department. Um, and this morning, what I want to do is uh, I want us to see a snapshot, um, a, a photograph, a picture that the Bible depicts for us, that once I got that image in my mind, I just kept thinking about it because it was, it was so, so powerful. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. But, you know, the truth is a picture doesn't just make us remember. When we see a picture of ourselves, we don't just remember what happened when the picture was taken. We remember how we felt when the picture was taken. It, it brings back all those feelings and emotions as well. I mean, th think of pictures uh, of you when you were a child. And you look at those pictures now and, and, and you, you, know, you, you remember what you were doing, but you also remember what you were feeling when you look at that picture. And, and you look at that picture and it, it, it's like, it almost seems like that's somebody else. <laughs> and in many ways, it is. But there's a picture of you on vacation and, and all of a sudden it's like you were there all over again. And there in that picture, there you are on the beach with a grandparent who has long since been gone. But when you look at that picture, you can practically smell the salt air and you can feel the breeze. And for a few moments, that picture is more real than the beach you're standing on right now. Pictures have this tremendous power to touch us. And paintings have the same effect. I mean, it may not be us in the painting, but boy, the masters had this ability to paint things that would touch all of us. Uh, but before COVID, Cindy and I had the, the great fortune to, to see some great works of art. We, we went to the Louvre. We went to the National Gallery of London and a few others. And I've seen the Mona Lisa with her crooked smile that makes you wonder what great secrets she knows. Cindy's particularly fond of Impressionists. So, you know, we saw Monet and Manet and Cezanne and Van Gogh and the others. Centuries old works of art that will still put a tear in your eye just from the sheer beauty of it. And then there's some paintings or pictures that touch us that weren't created by masters. I have a print in my office. It's rather inexpensive. Some of you have it as well because we've talked about it. But it's a picture of Jesus and he has his head thrown back and his mouth is wide open and he's laughing. It's one of my favorite pictures of Jesus I've ever seen. 
Because I believe Jesus laughed. I believe he had fun. I believe he had a good time. And I look at that picture and it reminds me, lighten up. Enjoy the journey. Now, I'm envious of those who have the gift to be able to paint. Uh, so we know my wife, Cindy, can do that. And, um, but I can't. It's a beautiful gift. If I could paint, I would paint this picture and bring it to you. But, um, so this morning, since I'm no good with brushes and, and, and paints, I'm, I'm going to paint with you the only thing I know how to use, which are words. Uh, and, and so here's the scene. I want to read it to you from, from the Bible, and then, and then we'll talk about what I would paint from this scene. This is in Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah. I'm sorry, let me skip down. How's y'all worried up there in the booth, didn't I? <laughs> After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark, and he sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and he took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. And when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. Now, here's the picture that I would paint. It would be Noah standing on the deck of the ark. Water is all you can see in every direction. And the ark rises and falls on the crest of the waves. And remember what Noah has been through. He spent the last couple of years being laughed at for building this thing. Uh, he's been at sea for a long time, and there was no Dramamine back then. So I imagine some of that time was spent hanging over the rail. And there's just water everywhere. The ark is full of animals who are always hungry and always stink. And every member of Noah's family was on her last nerve. And Noah had lost his land legs. He'd been bobbing up and down in that old tub for so long. He had forgotten what it was like to walk on dry ground. And for Noah, this was quite an ordeal. This wasn't just a, you know, a pleasant boat ride. I mean, think about it. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. I enjoy a rainy day as much as anybody. But 40 of them in a row, you would get pretty tired, even without the flood, that, that's more than enough. And if you count the days from when Noah first entered the ark till after the ark actually settled, I mean, it rained 40 days and 40 nights, but it took a long time for the water to go down for them to settle. Noah was actually on the ark for 372 days, just over a year. And Noah's family was saved, but his friends, none of them made it. They were all gone. His home, the places he grew up, it's all destroyed. It's all gone. I imagine that Noah more than once hid behind the, the hay in the last stall and cried a few tears. And I find it interesting that after the rains started throughout this entire ordeal, the scripture does not record a single word that Noah said. Maybe he didn't have much to say. Sometimes life's like that. 
You just get up and put your head down and get through the day. And that's what Noah was doing. The storm assailed, the water rose, creation was destroyed. And apparently God didn't say anything either because there's never a single word recorded that God said during this whole time. And so God's silent and Noah's standing there on the deck, hand on the rail, depressed and a little anxious. And so after we put ourselves in Noah's shoes and feel some of his pain, I think we're ready to understand the picture that, that I would paint. Noah's standing there on the deck of the ark, water everywhere, and he has his hand out. And in the palm of his hand is a dove. And in that dove's beak is a green olive leaf. And Noah looks like a man who's been through a lot because he has. And he's endured a lot. And if you look closely at Noah's face, you see it's the weathered face of an old sailor. And, and there's one tear just starting to roll down. But this isn't a tear of sadness. This is a tear of joy. This is a tear of sheer joy. Because he stares at that small green twig in the beak of the dove. And then in the frame, at the bottom of the frame, there'd be a little gold plaque there with the name of the painting. And the name of the painting would be Hope. Hope. For some reason, that symbol of the dove with the olive branch has become a symbol for peace. But in our story this morning, it's a symbol of hope. Because that's what I believe the whole story of Noah is about. It's about hope. It's about being able to have hope for the things that you can't see. Now, Noah, he was far from perfect, but he was faithful. He endured so much. He lost so much, and in the midst of all of it, God was silent. God didn't say a word, and the ark creaked back and forth day after day, and all he wanted was to see some dry land. All he wanted was to know that God could be trusted. All he wanted was to know that God would keep his word and bring them all through this. And Noah couldn't see it. All he could see was water until that dove landed in his hand with that twig. And he looked at that twig and he knew there's dry land out there somewhere. Beyond what I can see, it's there just like God promised. And that twig gave him hope that he could trust God, that he could believe in God. And that's why this story is so important to us because this isn't just a children's story. This is our story. It's your story and mine. It's a story about how we live in a broken world. It's a story about how we suffer loss. We go through storms and sometimes in the midst of those storms, often God is silent. It's a story of how in the midst of our despair, God sends us some kind of twig of hope to remind us that God loves us, to remind us that God will finish what God has started. It's a story about our need to have something that will 
stir, stir hope within us. Paul put it like this, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. And the writer of Hebrews said, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And there are times in every one of our lives when we go through storm. It may be financial, it may be relational, it may be health, but it's a frightening storm. And in the midst of it, we pray and God is silent. But before we completely despair, God finds a way to send us a twig of hope through the word of a friend or maybe even a stranger or an act of kindness. Something happens that gives us hope. It's like a twig of hope for something that we can see. Frederick Buechner tells this wonderful story about a time he was going through a storm in his life. He, his, um, his young adult daughter was ill, and she was very ill. She was in the hospital, and the doctors told them they didn't know if she would make it or not. And so he was sitting there in her hospital room, the storm raging inside, and she was asleep, and he decided he had to get out. And so he got in his car and he drove way out to the country to a road that very few cars would travel down. And he pulled his car off to the side of the road and he prayed and he yelled at God and he got his frustration out. And while he was sitting there, a car drove by, one of the few. And you, you know how you can buy those vanity license plates and put whatever you want, you know, on your license plate on your car? Well, this was one of those, this guy had a vanity license plate he had made, and, and the car drove by, and, and, and he looked at the tag, and it had one word on it. It said, trust. And he said, it was as if God spoke to me and said, you can trust me. It was a, it was a twig of hope in a desperate storm that he could put his faith in something that he couldn't see. And the story ends up turning out quite well because his daughter did get better and she did recover fully. But, but that sign was a twig of hope for him because it, it stirred the hope within him. It helped him to believe again. And now for the rest of the story, Frederick Buechner wrote that story in a book and it was published. And years later, the guy who was driving that car just happened to read the book and realized that was him. And so he wrote Frederick Buechner a nice letter and, in, and he actually sent him the license plate. And Buechner would hang it on the wall in his office and keep it there as a reminder that he could trust. Turns out the man was a banker. <laughs> when we're going through storms, we need twigs of hope. We need something that will remind us that God is faithful, even when God is silent. We need something 
to remind us that there is life beyond what we can see right now. The right word, the right deed can become a twig of hope for us. That reminds us that God is faithful. That we can trust God for the future that we can't see because God loves us. And like Noah, it's hard for us to believe in things we can't see. And we can't see the kingdom of God. Every now and then we catch a glimpse of it when we're lucky. But I believe that when we're going through storms, God sends us a twig of hope through the words of another person, through a license plate on a random car, through the acts of kindness by a stranger. God sends us a twig to let us know that God loves us and has not forgotten us. And this morning, it could be that you're going through a storm. It could be that you don't really know what the future holds. Maybe this twig is for you. Maybe you're here today because God wanted you to have this and know that you can trust God because God loves you. I just want to remind you that when you go through storms and God seems silent, look around for the twigs of hope that God will send your way through a friend, through a stranger, through something God will communicate with you that you are loved and that God can be trusted. Or better yet, be the man or the woman this week who delivers a twig of hope to somebody. Maybe your word, your deed, or your act of kindness may be the twig that someone else needs to give them hope. So deliver one this week. Amen.